Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest edition of the Providence Journal's College Basketball Podcast. This is Bill Koch, sports writer for the Journal in our downtown studios in Providence. It is a lovely Friday afternoon as we record this. Uh, I am joined by my co-conspirator, the sports director at ABC6, and the weekend co-host of Cordishi and Coit. On WEI Providence, Nick Coit, ladies and gentlemen. Coity, how are we living? Living okay. It's March, and the weather, I think, is going to turn at some point here, Bill, and that's that's a good thing. You reach March, and you, know, you start to see some things looking up. Light at the end of the tunnel, mm-hmm. uh, the sun in the sky, whatever your uh, preferred uh, catchphrase may be. Um, <laughs> it is beautiful outside today. I, I did wear a jacket, but probably didn't need one. Um, was reminded that, that spring is only two short weeks away, which is sort of nice to look at. I saw Jeff Denoyer's seven-day forecast last night as I was walking out to the studio, and I saw a couple of high 50 temperatures for next week, which mm. I said, interesting. That's Ooh, a nice thing nice. to see. Yeah, it's not going to be consistent for maybe a little bit, but look, I, I think we're probably, knock on wood, it's New England, so you never know. We might get another foot of snow at some point, but I think uh, the likelihood is becoming less of that happening we we live for those little glimpses of hope yeah, i think that that's we do fair to say that uh, we do you know those day you know day or two or, or three we can hang on to those until we get to may and june and it's a little better but until then we we deal with that and we distract ourselves with all the sports that are going on currently most notably our college basketball teams the best month of the season for college basketball march is here folks uh, we are doing a separate a second episode this week to commemorate uh, the start of march yeah uh, did you put a little extra on your time card or no we don't do that oh okay here at the journal okay. I, I, I give them uh, on the time card at least every week it says 37.5 hours uh, and that's it i i'm not one to claim overtime even when i work it um because i will confess that you know, there are some weeks occasionally where it might only be 30 hours or 32 hours. And, you know, you're being paid for 37 and a half. But some weeks are a little lighter than others. And I feel like over the course of the year, it probably balances itself out. That it does. Um, you know, so I'm not necessarily going to say that I worked 60 last week and I'm on pace for 70 this week. <laughs> um, that's just... Yeah, it just happens. Well, you're putting in a little extra time this week with this in the second uh, episode of the podcast, so I commend you. Well worth it. Uh, Conference tournaments underway, starting with the Atlantic 10 uh, in our state among our four men's teams, three of which are in action uh, and have been in action throughout the winter. Um, And it coincides with with the end of the season for the University of Rhode Island on Thursday, uh, an 84-72 loss against Dayton in their first Atlantic 10 game at the Siegel Center on the campus of ECU. Um, URI struggled defensively for the third straight game in a row, um, allowed their most points per possession this season uh, per adjusted 100 possessions. Uh, it's adjusted for tempo pace, whatever it may be. Ken Palm is a lot smarter than me mathematically. Um, <laughs> you know, but the Rams uh, losing seven out of eight to finish the season. They close at 10 and 15. Uh, it is their worst record since the 2013-14 season. That was the second year of Dan Hurley. That was a rebuilding situation. Um, you know, this feels a little different. It looked a little different. Um, you know, obviously also the the end of the URI career of Fats Russell uh, 
which gave us so many great moments over the course of his four years. Uh, it was a tough afternoon to, to be a Rams fan. It, it was a difficult season uh, to be David Cox. Um, you know, and, and it goes beyond just trying to shepherd your kids through the pandemic and, and through, you know, social justice reforms and, and real things going on. If we're just going to focus on what happened on the floor, uh, it was a tough year for the Rams. It was. Um, and uh, you, you mentioned Fats Russell, and, and I think that really, uh, maybe that's a, what's the word I'm looking for? Maybe a microcosm, but, um, you know, just represents the kind of year that the Rams had. Because listening to Fats yesterday talk about all the injuries that he had to play through during the year, yeah. I think we suspected it. But, Bill, you had asked him the question, and Fats said, okay. And in, in very Boston Bruins end-of-season Patrice Bergeron-type uh, in that type of way. That's exactly what I thought of. <laughs> Fats listed, okay, first game. What was it, the first game against Arizona State? Foot injury. Foot injury first game. Sports hernia. Uh, ankle, right? And then he felt like after uh, in the second half yesterday that he broke his wrist. Right. I mean, that to me, what a warrior to, to try to play through all that. But it, it spoke to, we, we had said previously on this podcast that Fats didn't look right. And when he wasn't playing to his, you know, uh, total capability and potential because of those injuries, it affected your eye on the floor because he, they needed him to be the lead dog because right. he was the guy. He was the upperclassman that everybody was turning to. And uh, with that comes a lot of attention when other teams are scouting you. And obviously he got a lot of that attention, a lot of defensive attention. Um, and then you add that up with the injuries and just a... Just a tough year, but I I know you and Maury have talked about you know Fats and his career with the Rams. Um, just a fun fun player, and and especially early in his career, bringing him in with that team that had EC Matthews, Jarrett Terrell, Jarvis Garrett, all those guys. Boy, he just he complimented them so well. And he could be that spark. And I just I remember his freshman year, the Providence game. That mm -hmm. one sticks out to you. Obviously, the NCAA tournament and Trey Young and ending Oklahoma's career. And um, yeah, it, it just uh, there's so many great moments. But I just remember Dan Hurley saying before his career started, and when they were bringing him in, I remember Dan saying, "Wait till you see this kid, because yeah. this kid's going to be a Player of the Year candidate in the conference." And he nailed it. He nailed it. And infectious, could, his personality. You know, I, I, you just, he, he had a genuine joy about playing hoops. He does. And um, so I think that's why Rams fans really took to him. Sort of had that underdog mentality with his, with his size. Um, just a lot of good things to say about Fats and had a lot of ups and downs in his career. You know, his sophomore year tried to figure out, okay, how do I step forward and be more of a leader in this program? And, um, yeah, I think his junior year really with with being healthy with with Jeff Doughton and Cyril Langevin, I thought, you know, he could play to, you know, as much of his potential as he could. Um, there was some really great moments with him there. And um, I know it was a tough senior year, but you just you remember him fondly as a player. And that's one of the positives is that, uh, you know, Fats is a uh, he's a, an all time great in the program. Now, I, I think, you know, where does he stand? I don't know. You can debate that. But. Um, you know, obviously deserves all the praise that, that comes his way. Fats brought a different sort of energy, uh, I would say. Um, you know, I wouldn't necessarily 
compare him to players like Jared Terrell, E.C. Matthews. He had a completely different game, a completely different way about him. The size had a lot to do with it. Um, he's just an ordinary guy walking down the street. You put him on the court with nine other guys who are bigger than he is, and he's able to do the things that he did. Visually, it doesn't compute. It doesn't make sense. Here's this little guy dominating a game played by big guys. It's not supposed to happen that way. Um, you put a seven-footer on the floor, and he's 280 pounds with muscles coming out of his ears. He ends up with 30 points and 20 rebounds, and you say, right, that's what he's supposed to do. <laughs> Fats Russell is not that person. He's about as far away from that person as you could get. Um, his speed, his quickness are his best physical attributes when you find out that he played with a foot injury and a sports hernia, a sports hernia and an ankle injury throughout most of the season, even taking away half a step from him, if not a full step from him, it robs him of that ability that makes him an elite player. The guy who we saw through the first 23 games of last year when they were 18-5, and five, they needed that guy to max out this season. There were so many different parts, so many new faces, they needed him to play like a first-team all-conference player, like he was picked in the preseason. That did not happen. Um, he did not quite reach that level. The A-10 will release their awards at some point here in the coming days. I would imagine he still gets some recognition. I, I think he could sneak onto the third team. Um, he will not be among the top five or six players on that list. And, and I think in order for you or I to, to have any sort of team success, that was what was required. Uh, Jeremy Shepard did not play in this game. He had a right ankle injury. Alan Beatran left midway through the second half with what looked like a serious left knee injury. Uh, we hope Alan is okay. Yeah. He was scheduled to be evaluated uh, on Friday by URI's medical staff. Uh, you lost Makai Mitchell earlier in the year to a left knee injury in a game at Western Kentucky. So this team wasn't necessarily healthy throughout. Um, you know, They weren't necessarily cohesive throughout. They showed significant ability in flashes, uh, beating Seton Hall at home, winning at VCU, playing all the way down to the end with Western Kentucky. Uh, showed a significant amount of grit, winning in double overtime against Dayton at home. You're down 18 points with about 10 minutes to play in regulation. You managed to pull that one out on senior night. Unfortunately, that victory over the Flyers is your only win since January 27th, and, and you're going to go into the offseason Sort of on that sour note, losing seven out of eight. Uh, you know, Coyte, just, just looking at where they go from here, I guess. Um, general thoughts on URI as they go into the offseason, whether it's uh, roster composition currently, what they need to add, uh, state of the program generally. Have any thoughts there? Yeah, um, I thought about it a little bit. Uh, this morning, just thinking about you know what they have, where they can go, um, allowed myself to do that now that the season's over. And um, you know, I I will say too, uh, and and uh, Anthony Grant touched on this yesterday, and I I think it should be commended. In a year like this, uh, for Rhode Island to get all the games in that it did, uh, and to get through this COVID season without having to go on pause, without some of it is is luck, I think, because you can be as locked and down and as tight as you are as a program and still get a positive test and have to go on pause and whatnot and go through all that. So 
it's not a knock on any program that had to go on pause because most of them had to this season. Sure. But for Rhode Island to get through the season, I think it speaks to the discipline that the players had, the coaching staff had, and so that should be commended, first of all. Um, secondly, looking at the future, um, you hate for a season like this to end the way it did. Um, it, it sort of it, it went off the rails, and defensively, too. I, I think that was something... You know, at points during the season that I think David Cox and his staff hung their hat on with this team was, well, you know what, we we put out a, def- a good defensive effort. If we can find some of the offense, then we can, you know, uh, have the success that we want to have. Um, but the last three games, as as you pointed out too, in the Dayton game, just you know, I don't have the uh, advanced stats in front of me, but um, it just Ab Watson could get every everything that he wanted yesterday, and the ball movement by Dayton really ate them up, especially in the second half and. Um, it just sort of snowballed. So what could they use this offseason? Um, obviously, losing a player like Fats is uh, is tough, and you're not going to replace a Fats, Russell, but I, I've said it on the pod before. I'll say it again. I, I like Ish Leggett a lot. I, I like the kid's personality. I like the way he plays. I think he's got a lot of energy. I think he's got a little bit of toughness in there. Mm. And so that's a kid that I say, okay, you know, I want him to be a building block. Um, you know, if you're losing Jeremy Shepard here, he was an important piece to this season. So, you know, adding another guard to go with with Ish, whether that be, you know, knock on wood, Alan B. Trend is okay. You know, you thought maybe that could be a guy that steps in. Um, you could use some, I, I think, in the front court too. Um, losing, you know, Makai Mitchell was, was important this season because it – Having him there with Mikhail, it, it it was the needed size that they brought in when they were bringing in all these guys as transfers. Right. Um, I wonder about a full off season for a guy like Malik Martin, who I think we saw flashes, um, particularly in the Dayton game. I thought he stepped forward early, um, but I wonder. And he was a guy that I actually saw on Twitter today. He tweeted out. He said, "Roadie Nation, stay with us." And that to me spoke to okay. This is a kid that's that's confident that he's going to improve, and he wants to improve, and he wants to put in. And it it was Ish Leggett that retweeted it and said, you know, yes, stay with us, pretty much. And and that was nice to see from the kids because that tells me okay, they're committed to coming back here, putting in the work in the off season, and having a better year next year. And I think they recognize that this wasn't the season that they wanted to have. And so I wonder with a kid like Malik Martin, ha- give him a full off season. And what, what does he do for this program? You know, what, what can he do for this team? You know, can things look better defensively, offensively? Um, because not having a full off season, it was tough on a lot of programs. Some programs are able to put it together. Some weren't. And I think Rhode Island in some cases wasn't able to put it together, especially with all the guys they had coming in transferring. So, um, you know, you wonder if, if a guy like Malik steps forward. Um, but I think the front court could use a little bit more depth. Um, that, that would obviously help things. And, yeah, I think that second guard in your starting five, I wonder who's going to fill that role. Could, could it be Jalen Carey? I'm not sure. But um, I think Ish is, is in the picture for your starting five next year. So I think those are some of the things I think about. Mentally a very difficult year for, for the kids, for all of us, yeah. really. Uh, trying to go through the pandemic, we're, we're almost a year in. 
Um, I know we've spoken about it before on the pod, how, how hard it's been on the two of us, um, you know, as adults, never mind yeah. as college kids trying to give up so much. Um, so if your number one job is to protect the players and to protect the people in your program, immense credit to David Cox for Big that. Big time. Uh, the fact that none of his guys got sick, none of his staff members got sick, they didn't have to go on pause as you said, speaks a lot to their discipline, their adherence to the protocols, their responsibility, the care of each other that they took uh, deserves to be commended. Um, you know, the fact that, that David is who he is uh, in a very turbulent time in American history, um, a proud, strong, successful black man coaching players who are predominantly young black men who are looking to use basketball to advance themselves in their educations, in their lives, in their future careers. Uh, he's a very important role model for, for those guys. And, and I think the example he sets every day is to be commended in that way as well. Amen. Um, you know, and, and I think that's really important to keep in mind when you frame the discussion about his future in this program and who your eye is after three seasons. He's 49 and 39. He's had one really good stretch where they were 24 and 6, where they were on the verge of the polls last year at 18 and 5, where Fats Russell looked like an All American, a Conference Player of the Year candidate, uh, where they looked like an NCAA tournament team. Before that stretch and after that stretch, which is all this season, they're 25 and 33. Um, you could look at the team that he inherited, the fact that you graduated some generational seniors there. Um, you could also look at the team that he coached this year, the fact that Tyrese Martin and Jacob Toppin transferred out. Those are two guys who you were going to build around, who already knew your system, who were already established here in your program, your work habits with their teammates. To lose them is something that doesn't happen often at an A-10 contender. You know, the teams who finished at the top of the league this year, you look at St. Bonaventure, Kyle Lofton and Osuna Suni could have transferred to a lot of places. Uh, Bones Highland could have gone to a lot of places. Um, Kellen Grady could have gone to a lot of places. The St. Louis guys, Jordan Goodwin, Hassan French, Javante Perkins, they all would have had options along the way. At URI previously, Terrell, Martin, Matthews, all would have had Power 5 Big East options along the way. The fact that they stayed made you a championship program. And, and so player retention for me is really important. Uh, that cohesiveness year over year is really important at a developmental league like the A-10 where you're not recruiting necessarily top 50 prospects, uh, slam dunk NBA guys coming out of high school who you know are going to spend 10 to 12 years in the league. Um, I think it's really important that sort of building, that sort of cohesion. Um, you know, So I would look at you know, just your roster construction. And, and I would look at next season and say, who will be the leader of this team? You know, who is here who has invested a significant amount of time in this program who is old enough where his teammates will snap to attention when he speaks? I'll be curious to see who emerges in that way. Malik Martin certainly has the lineage for that. Uh, whether or not he has the personality for that, I don't know. We've sort of been disassociated from these guys because of the pandemic. We haven't been at practice. We haven't really had a chance to get to know them all that well as we have with teams in the past and, and watch them interact in that way. Um, so I think that's a major question that they're going to need to answer 
in the offseason and very early on next season. Uh, in terms of the product on the floor, I agree with you. I think they need another guard, preferably a guard who can play right away, who's had some experience, whether it's a grad transfer uh, or somebody who is looking to step down from a power team uh, as a one-time transfer. I, I think Ish Leggett is going to have the ball in his hands going forward, um, but I think you need a scorer next to him. Uh, I think you need somebody who can give you 14, 15, 16 points a game consistently. Um, you're going to have some depth in the front court, certainly. You're going to have live bodies up there with the Mitchell Twins, with Walker, uh, with DJ Johnson coming back. He gives you a little different dimension. Um, you know, But if you're going to rely on Jalen Carey after what you saw this year or Trez Berry, who's a red shirt, if you're going to project them to jump all of a sudden to 15, 16 points a game, um, and being a primary scorer in crunch time, I think that's a pretty big leap and, and might not necessarily be fair to either one of those two kids. Um, so I think on court, that is a major discussion piece. Uh, off court, David's certainly coming back for fourth year. There is no way that, that Thor Bjorn makes a change. Stop that discussion right now. It's ridiculous. That's not who you or I is. Um, you know, this is not. Kentucky. They do not have every possible program amenity under the sun. This is not a program where if you're 10 games over 500 after three years, it is a fireable offense. That's not the climate in Kingston. It hasn't been for a long time. Um, at the end of next season, if you'd like to have that discussion, four years into a five-year contract, whether you move on or whether you extend, that would be more the time to see how much they've developed, how much progress they've made, how much closer they are to being back at or near the top of the A-10. But for right now, you're wasting your breath if that's the sort of, of uh, tack that you want to take on this. Especially in a season like this and, and the, everything that, that came their way um, and everything they had to deal with. Yeah, I, I wouldn't have that discussion right now, but I, I agree with you. I think next year, I think next season is very important for – David Cox and his staff, and I think they recognize that. Um, and I, I think it's going to be <laughs> maybe less of a turbulent offseason than it was last year with all the guys that you lost last year, um, You know, particularly, as you mentioned, Toppin and, and Martin. And thinking about Jacob Toppin, you know, a good example of a program in the A-10 keeping a guy around that could have gone somewhere else. Look at Jacob's brother. Obi stayed at, at Dayton, and if the pandemic hadn't shut down the tournament last year, the Flyers were one of the f- four or five teams that were in the discussion for a national championship last year. Right. So, and it's going to become increasingly difficult, though, for schools like like Rhode Island and 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 you know programs that want to hold on to this talent that could go to bigger schools if this one-time transfer rule goes through which i think we expect it to yeah. at some point in the near future we expect this to become a norm right so you're right being able to retain players is is an important part of you know this program going forward and holding on to these guys and having them buy into what you're trying to do with the program um, like I said, I think it's going to be less of a turbulent offseason this year, and you do wonder who steps forward and, and leads this program. But, yeah, two-guard is, is exactly what I was thinking with, with what they need. And if, if they could find a guy, you know, I don't know if Tresberry is that guy. I, you know, but Jeremy Shepard stepped right in, and if you could find another Jeremy Shepard, <laughs> he right. stepped right in and was your second leading scorer. I mean, that was... 
it just it was seamless. It it felt like Jeremy had played for the program for a few years, and he hadn't. This was it. So if you could find a guy like that, I, I I'm with you. I, I think that's something that they could use, and um, you know, hopefully, like I said, a full off season could bring them together a little bit more. They can do more as a team next year. Feel a little bit more confident in what they're doing as as a group because I'm sure at times it was a little bit more turbulent because they didn't have the off season that they would want to have. So, um, yeah, I, I'm interested to see, but next year it's, it's important because now we are, you know, a few years removed from Dan Hurley leading this program from a, a peak point in this program's history. And the further away you get from that, the more there's discussion of, okay, what is the direction? Where are we heading? What's it going to look like in the future? Because you want to be able to build towards getting yourselves, you know, more of these amenities and more of these things that are one good for your program and your players that are in your program now, but the future as well. You know, whether it is a practice facility, whether it is, you know, charter flights, whether it is things that, you know, these bigger programs have that you want to get more of to make yourself an attractive place for players to play. The difficult thing I think about coaching in the A-10 is there are certain programs in your conference who have those. Yep. Certain other programs who do not. Uh, it is not a level playing field. If you look at the Northeast Conference, which we'll talk about Bryant next, just about every school plays in a high school gym. There's not huge revenue generated by ticket sales, sponsorships, whatever it may be. Every program is on a bus. Nobody's flying. Um, you know, There's no real separation in that way. If you go to VCU or Dayton or, or St. Louis and you see the practice facilities there and you realize that they're chartering to every road game, um, you look at what they have in terms of resources available to put together a staff, um, some places it is significantly more than the teams who are traditionally at the bottom of the league. And, and so with the one-time transfer coming in, we, we both think it's going to happen. Um, it is more important to act now, to put yourself now on level play, on, on level footing with your direct competitors. I, I know URI has made great financial progress towards a practice facility. I, I know they've raised a considerable amount of money. That, that's been a years-long pursuit. Um, what you hope is at some point they're able to get that over the goal line and, and make that a reality. It's something that they've been trying for for a long time. Um, you hope that at some point they are flying private and it is a little easier on the players and it might give them a couple more hours to work on their games or to rehab their bodies or to be in class or whatever it may be. Um, this is the business side of the sport. The only reason we're playing this winter is because they need to have an NCAA tournament. They have a $700 million hole in their budgets from the NCAA tournament that was not played last year. Uh, you're sending kids out there, unpaid kids, I might add, in the midst of a pandemic um, to sort of keep these athletic departments solvent in that way. It, it is a little dirty if you take a step back and, and really <laughs> think about it. Um, you know, But we know why the season was played. We know what it's all about. Um, it is about the almighty dollar. And, and so... You know, you or I going forward, what's their commitment going to be? Um, you know, how much more are they capable of doing? Uh, really interested to see what happens over the next year or so. I think it's a really important time for who they are and who they're going to be. Um, and I think that's a, a realistic discussion that we're having 
now at this point. You just you want them to have the success that they've had recently, um, because that was it was exciting. It was uh, you know riveting to watch. Uh, you, you saw the fan base just come together and light up like you hadn't seen in a long time. There's nothing better than no. than being on that rise, is there? The best, the best, and you, there's so many great memories from the last few years, and um, you know I think that's why Fats. You know, leaving this program, you know, after his wrapping up his career, it sort of marks a okay, where are we going from here? Because he was part of those teams and that success, and so we're now removed from it. Now that he is moving on, we are, you know, we're looking at uh, an era now gone. So, right, where do we go from here? Right, right. There is a bit of unknown there. Um, you know, we, we hope that uh, URI's players and, and staff members continue to stay healthy and well going into the offseason. Um, as I said, we, we wish the best for Alan Beatrand. Uh, we hope that there is uh, a minimal diagnosis there uh, yeah. on his left knee. We, we hope that it was not as serious as it looked, um, his injury in the second half of that game against Dayton. Um, you know, we look forward to, to hearing more from the Rams this offseason in terms of Possible player additions, uh, you know, possible program improvements, um, you know, and and the sooner we can bring that excitement back to Kingston, the the better. Um, you know, some of that good feeling has transferred uh, to the northwest corner of the state, and and that's where we find Bryant going into this weekend hosting a Northeast Conference Championship semifinal at Chase Athletic Center. They will play Sacred Heart at noon on Saturday. Uh, only the second. Northeast Conference semifinal game that they have played in their program's history. The first that has been hosted at the Chase Center uh, in Coity. Almost a game that didn't happen. Uh, palpable relief from Jared Grasso on his Zoom call with us on Thursday. Thank goodness. <laughs> Thank goodness. Seriously. Uh, I, 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 when the news came out last weekend, I, what was it, Sunday, I think, and um, I, was, I was enjoying an off day, and um, however many of those we actually get during this time of the year. <laughs> sure. And I, I had just kind of looked at my phone and I said, oh, no, not now. Not now. Not with the season they're having. Not when they're about to wrap up the, you know, the season and have a chance at winning the regular season title, which obviously went out the window and with the Mount St. Mary's games getting canceled. Um, it was just, it was heartbreaking. Heartbreaking to see because, you know, you thought, man, they may not get into this postseason um, they may have to bow out, and and clearly they're one of the top teams in the conference. They are. They have been all year, and so you want them to be able to compete, you know, to be able to get to the big dance because they deserve it the way that they've played. Um, luckily, things kind of it was it was really funny, Bill. I'm sitting in my office. This was Wednesday, I think. Okay. And Jeff Denoyer, our our meteorologist, who actually little known fact is a former sports guy, he did it down. I think in. Mississippi or Louisiana, somewhere down south. All I know is and that Jeff is a big Titans fan. Huge right? big Titans Tennessee fan. Tennessee Titans fan, correct? Huge Titans fan. Right, okay. Anytime, anything. It's funny. We were talking about uh, possible Patriots quarterbacks. And so when the Mariota rumblings were sort of sure, yeah. around, Jeff was walking by my office. I said, Jeff, what about Marcus Mariota as Patriots quarterback? And he just stood there and he talked to me for about 10 minutes about why he liked Marcus Mariota. Sure, sure. Said, Interesting, okay. So he walks by my office, he goes, Jeff also, and this is how I know he's a former TV sports guy, he also appreciates sports that don't 
aren't in the mainstream or teams that aren't in the mainstream. Okay. And Bryant, I would say, is is a local sports program, a local sports story that we cover, not a mainstream thing. He's not. So he came by my office. He said, "What's going on with Bryant?" He said, "Are they going to play?" Yeah. He said, "Because that would really stink." Yeah. He said, "They've been so fun," and I was like, "Jeff, I, I'm not sure yet." Um, it sounds like they they haven't called anything yet, so we'll see. And that was about five thirty on Wednesday. Five forty five pops up. What happens? We find out they're going to be able to play. And I literally went on the air and in, in the tease before my 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 break before the sportscast, I said, "Jeff, listen up. I got a story for oh, you." Oh, very good, very good. <laughs> yeah, sure. And he's like, "Oh, great." You know. And so uh, I think there's a genuine. If you're a college basketball fan around here, and I've heard this actually from some of the Friar fans that are on on Twitter, they, they said, you know, geez, I I hope that we respect what Bryant has done this year because they've been a really fun team to watch, a good program, and we hope they're able to play. And I love to see that because you, if you're a college basketball fan, you should want to see these guys play. They're right. what top five in the country in scoring. Like they're fun, man. Right. And so to hear that they're going to be able to play is great. And I'm really glad what they're going to be putting on the floor. First of all, I don't think those guys care because they <laughs> they want to play. They want to play. Who's going to be missing? I'm not sure. I, I feel like, Bill, uh, you know, I'm going to be at the game on Saturday. I feel like when I get there, it's going to be very much like going to a Patriots practice during the week. I'm going to take out a roster, and I'm just going to have to start doing Checks. <laughs> Checking who's coming out and warming up, who's going to be out on the floor, because we don't know. And I don't blame, you know, Bryant. Obviously, that is, you know, information they want to keep within the program. Um, and they don't want, the, you know, Sacred Heart to know anything. I get that. Um, you know, but again, I don't think they really mind because they're going to be able to play either way. And when we talked to Jared Grosso yesterday, he said, we feel like we're going to have enough where we can do what we want to do. And that's good to hear. You know, he has confidence in his team and his players. And whoever he's missing, he feels like there's somebody that can fill those minutes, step in, fill a role, and and help them play the way that they want to play. And hopefully that's the case. I was very encouraged by the initial statement from the NEC when they described Bryant's status as yet to be determined. To me... That left the door open. Yes. Uh, it left the door open for a creative solution to keep them off COVID pause for the second time this season. Um, as you said, we're not sure who's going to be out there. Uh, I equated it to like elementary school when you take attendance at the beginning of every <laughs> right. class. Right. Okay, is little Janie here? Is little Johnny here? All right, now we can start the lesson. Um, for folks who will be at the Chase Center, mostly our, our media friends, and, and for folks who will be watching on TV. Uh, this might not be the typical Bryant team. You might see some guys who, who haven't played very much this season, uh, guys in, in potential major roles uh, you know, who haven't been asked to play in those major roles at, at any point this season. But I agree with you. The most important thing is they are on the floor. They will have a chance to finish this year on the floor. It would have been cruel for them to go 14-5 and five for the first time in program history through 19 games and to qualify second uh, in a an already curtailed NEC tournament, cut from eight teams down to four, it would have been cruel for Bryant not to be able to to finish out this season. Even if they go out and lose to Sacred Heart, yeah, or even if they lose the championship game to to Wagner Mount St. Mary's, doesn't matter. You won't have that question of what if. I know you mentioned the Friar fans earlier. Ugh. That's eaten at them for twelve months now. Ugh. What if 
the way we played, the teams we beat, how good we looked. What if we had played an NCAA tournament last year? It, it is the, it's one of the worst questions you can ask yourself in any walk of life. The worst, because it just leaves questions, and you will talk about it. And the further away you get removed from it, the more there's questions of what if. We're going to look at that Friars team in five years and say, what, 10 years, 15 years, and say, oh, man, they should have. They would have been a second weekend team. That's right. What's going on? Oh, man, I can't believe that. And even, you know, it's funny, I was cutting some of the highlights because um, Khalif Young just signed. He's going to be playing uh, back in Canada this summer again, which, oh, is, good. which is great news. And, okay. Uh, tremendous young man. He's a great, great kid. Um, and... I was cutting some of the the highlights we had from from last season and just watching that again. I'm like, oh man, they were great down the stretch. Yeah. They were so good. It yeah, just like were. the 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 cohesion, the joy, the confidence. Uh, I that's a time. That's a podcast of what if for another day. You know, realistically, we've seen a lot of those same traits out of Bryant. Yes, at times this season, absolutely. Uh, the resourcefulness. The ability to win games in any style, um, the fact that they are entertaining uh, at times, just flat out entertaining. If you're neutral, if you don't care who wins, um, when they push the pace and get it going up and down, and Chris Childs is making threes, and oh. Michael Green's going to the rim, and Hall Elijah is playing above the rim, it's a fun team to watch. And Peter Kiss looks like Ric Flair every time he makes a <laughs> shot, like woo, like that. That kid being in the gym, and I think we've talked about this already, but but being no, say in the it gym, again if, if we I mean, he is a maniac, yeah. Bill. He's a maniac. Brad and Marsh, I love it. Brad Marsh, oh was, man, was my comparison. Holy cow! For Bruins fans out there, Brad he Marsh. Like, you know, I think the first time we saw him, he looked like Ric Flair with a woo. Last weekend, he made a shot, and he's like shaking his head, and he's. Pump is, he looked like the ultimate warrior. I'll put it that way. Like, oh. I'll go a step further if you want my wrestling references there. No, sure. Um, <laughs> he's just, it's, but the team feeds off that kind of energy. And again, this is something we've talked about before with a program, usually the characteristics sort of model, you know, the head coach and his personality. And I, I think Jared can be that intense as a, as a coach, especially in practice, in getting his guys to play the way that he wants them to play. And so having a guy like Peter Kiss, you know, you're hopeful that he is on the floor on Saturday because, um, you know, he today was named to the first team All-NEC and Michael Green named to the second team. And we've talked about how important those two guys are. And so you hope they're out there because I think if those guys are out there, I think the rest will, you know, work itself out because they're so important to what they do. We uh, we won't break down the matchup too much because, as you said, we're not sure who's going to be out there. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned Peter Kiss, named to the All NEC first team today. Michael Green, the third, named to the second team. Uh, Wagner, the conference champion, swept most of the major awards. Uh, Bashir Mason was named the coach of the year. Alex Morales, the player of the year. Delani Hunt, the rookie of the year. Uh, I believe Wagner was picked ninth preseason wow. uh so Bashir Mason another great coaching job on Staten Island he actually succeeded Dan Hurley uh when Dan came to Rhode Island uh and I think Bashir Mason might have been the youngest division one coach at that time I think he was only 28 years old uh when he took charge at Wagner um it's wow. crazy to think that he's already been there for eight or nine years uh and we're still talking about how bright a future he has sure he's already living that future right now uh, you know, as someone who is 
a conference champion and a coach of the year. Uh, as I said, Wagner will play Mount St. Mary's on Saturday in the other semifinal. Uh, if Mount St. Mary's were to find a way to win that game and Bryant is able to beat Sacred Heart, then Bryant would hope that they would host the Northeast Conference Championship game on Tuesday night at the Chase Center. Uh, that game would be on ESPN and its family of networks. Uh, I think the Saturday game at noon is on ESPN3 and NEC Front Row. Uh, so you can find that online, streaming. Um, Sacred Heart being a fast-paced team, Bryant being a fast-paced team, we can assume that this game is going to be played in the 70s and the 80s regardless of personnel. Um, and we really look forward to seeing an exciting, energetic postseason 40 minutes it's it's gonna it's it's gonna be another reminder that we are in the best time of the year for college hoops and it's funny i i think back to i believe it was sacred heart that it was jared's first season so a couple years ago i believe it was sacred heart where they played into the hundreds with them Mm. a couple years ago during the regular season there was a call at the end of the game that uh, Jared was clearly upset with and voiced his frustrations. I remember that, <laughs> which uh, was fine. Home game uh, 105-104. That's it. Sacred Heart win. That's the one. Yes. Uh, I remember I was there for the second half, and I'm looking at the scoreboard. It's like 10 minutes left. Both teams are in the 80s. I'm like, what the heck is going on here? Right. This is unbelievable. So they're always fun games. Uh, I think back to the NEC quarterfinals, and... I had driven down. I had done a story in Boston that night. Uh, Bryce Cotton was back in town. Uh, He had a 10-day contract with the Utah Jazz, so I went and did a story about that. Sure. And Ken Bell, who was still working with at the time, said, hey, could you you go to Smithfield afterwards? Could you go for the second half of the uh, the Bryant-Sacred Heart playoff game? I said, absolutely. That'll be fun. So show up for the second half and... Little did I know that I was going to see one of the best shots I've ever seen in a college hoops game, which was Joe O'Shea grabbing that ball and tossing it up toward the hoop at the end of the game and forcing overtime, and Bryant found a way to win an OT. And holy cow, that was that's the loudest I've ever heard the Chase Center. Uh, that was a, a fun night. Uh, a good team, too, that Tim O'Shea on the floor with O'Shea and Diami Starks, and uh, Dan Garvin was still there, and... Uh, yeah, so you think of some of the matchups that Sacred Heart and Bryant have had. It's been fun basketball over the years. So this will be fun. The only previous home game uh, in Bryant's NEC history, that was in 2014-15. Uh, it was a quarterfinal win over Sacred Heart. Uh, Bryant went on and lost to Robert Morris in the semifinals, and I think Robert Morris ended up winning the I tournament. I think they won the tournament, yeah. Uh, yeah. Andy Toole has had a really good program there for a long time. Uh, Robert Morris now in the Horizon League for their first year. Uh, one of their freshman guards is a kid from Providence named Enoch Cheeks, who yep. played at Mount Pleasant. That's right. That's um, right. You know, who was a really good player there before going to the prep ranks. Uh, so Robert Morris, still a program that you'd like to keep an eye on if you are a local college basketball fan. Um, finally, Coity, we uh, in our three-team whip around of our local programs, we will finish with Providence. Uh, who will play the second half of the Saturday doubleheader, if you are a local fan. Uh, Providence will host Villanova at 2.30 on the Big Fox. Uh, Providence coming off a loss at St. John's, uh, a game that left Ed Cooley visibly frustrated uh, in his postgame meeting with us, uh, really was not happy about the result of that one. Um, You know, really was frustrated that the fact that 
Providence gave up 51 points in the second half. They lost 81-67. It was a 25-point turnaround. Providence had an 11-point halftime lead, and and then in the second half just sort of faded away. Rasheem Dunn took over this game. He had 18 of his 21 in the second half. St. John's outscored Providence in the paint. In the second half, the Friars went 0 for 9 from 3 in the second half and 4 for 23 in the game. Um, Quite disappointing from the standpoint that Providence had won 3 of 4. St. John's had lost 3 of 4. It looked like two teams who were going in certain directions heading towards the Big East tournament. And the team that reversed course in the positive way was St. John's, much to the chagrin of Ed Cooley and the Friars. You catch St. John's without Posh Alexander, too, and, and it's Dunn that steps forward, sure. And, and you know, I asked Ed after the game about poise with his team because I just looked at it and I said, okay, wh- what was it that went wrong here? Because you played such a, a good first half on mm. both ends. You have an 11-point lead at the half. Right. They're missing their star freshman. You should be able to play, even if they go on a run, withstand that run. And, and Ed had mentioned after I asked him that about, well, you know, we, we did tie it at 60. But that to me was like, well, that was sort of a blip because it was a couple of baskets by Nate. And then they wanted another run again and there was no response. It just didn't – you give up 51 points like that. It, it's just deflating. It, it snowballs. It and, and there were times where – Providence did get a stop, and the ball just bounced out of somebody's hands. Yeah, remember I remember one with with Noah Horkler. I, David Duke didn't have a good half. Like it just. That's why I asked about poise because you need to be poised in those moments. You need to have the the, you know, you need to have your players step forward and say, "Okay, everybody, settle down. Let's relax. They're making their run, making the push. So let's let's bear down here. Let's get let's get a good possession here. Let's get a stop." Then let's continue on. You know, let's make it a little more difficult for Rasheem Dunn, which they did at times, but and Dunn was kind of unconscious in the second half. But at the same time, yeah. he was getting some good looks here and there too. So it's, I I can understand, you know, Ed Cooley being frustrated because it, it they had that game, they had control of that game, and to come out of the half flat like that, it's one thing to show up to a gym and be flat. It's another to have a lead come out of the, the locker room and play like that. That, that to me, was surprising um, and disappointing. It's revealing to me that in you trying to recap this right now live on this podcast, you are a bit flummoxed. Yeah, right. And you don't really care who wins. Right. So you can imagine how Ed Cooley feels when he cares very much who wins. Right. He wants Providence to win desperately. It's his livelihood. Uh, that's how he makes his living. It's why he lives in East Greenwich. Um, <laughs> you know, it, it's. Uh, I, I'm sure it was vexing for him as well to watch those 20 minutes play out the way they did. Um, and he certainly communicated that to us after the game. The first time St. John's has swept Providence since 2014-15, Steve Lavin was the coach wow. at that time. Uh, Steve Lavin was in the Fox studios the other night uh, <laughs> on the halftime and postgame uh, of that game. Um you know, Coity, I, I I would just say, in terms of the Friars, they're at twelve and twelve. They're eight and ten in the league. They will finish sub five hundred in the league, regardless of what happens against Villanova. Um, it looks like they'll be playing on that first day of the Big East tournament. They they will not get a bye. They're not going to avoid, 
you know, sort of being dragged down into that abyss with Butler and Marquette and Georgetown and uh, DePaul, and, and that's going to make it a little more difficult for Providence to reach another NCAA tournament this year. They're going to have to win four games in four days instead of three games in three days um, when they go to Madison Square Garden next week. Well, and a little more difficult adding UConn now with the 11 teams. It's no longer six teams getting the bye, it's five. And you could still, I think there is a scenario where you could be that sixth team. So, yeah, a little more difficult. But, yeah, you're right. They're, they're going to play on their first day. We'll, we'll get into uh, the calculus of the conference standings as it relates to UConn joining the league after the season. I think that's a greater discussion sure. in terms of how UConn is capable of upsetting the league dynamics. Um, you know, I, I think it is significant if you're a school like Providence, like Seton Hall, that has gained some traction in recent seasons, to have the Huskies come back in um, is going to make your road longer, more difficult uh, as you go forward here. Um, Providence catching Villanova at an ideal time, you could say, uh, you know, as ideal as it gets, playing the Wildcats, who have already secured the Big East Championship. It is their sixth in their last seven years. Uh, but suffered an unfortunate loss the other night. Uh, won the game against Creighton, but lost their senior point guard, Colin Gillespie, a wonderful player. Torn left MCL in his knee. He is out. His college career is over. Um, you know, he suffered that, I think, in the first half against Creighton the other night. Um, you know, really tough to see a, a kid like that go down. Um, you know, more from the standpoint that Gillespie was sort of an unheralded recruit, uh, you know, was sort of brought in to be the backup point guard, I guess you could say, at, at Villanova. They had other guys who, who they valued more, um, you know, on that roster his first couple of years. Uh, he is a Pennsylvania kid, and, and so you, you can imagine the, the pride that he took uh, in playing for sort of his home school. Uh, they felt like uh, Javon Quinterly was going to take that role. He's a freshman, very highly touted kid, uh, considered to have NBA potential. Um, and you thought at the time that Gillespie was just going to back him up for a couple of years and be happy to play his 10 to 12 minutes and make his contribution, and that was going to be that. Uh, Quinterly didn't necessarily stick in Villanova's system. He ended up transferring. Gillespie emerges as one of the best players in the Big East. Um, you know, Villanova's player development machine continues to just hum along. They, they bring in these guys who are system fits, who all of a sudden max out, whether it's Eric Paschal or Dante DiVincenzo, um, you know, someone like Sadiq Bey. All these guys are recruited to a certain level. They all have a certain amount of ability. I, I don't mean to take away from who they are as players, but Eric Paschal started his career at Fordham. He was a you know an all-A-10 type rookie, uh, very productive player. I certainly did not see a guy who was going to end up playing for the Golden State Warriors the first time I saw Eric Paschal. Um, you know, so that's sort of what Villanova has been able to do over the last few years. Jay Wright's been there for 20 years. I would say maybe the last 10 or so, he's really had it going. They've really been a national power, two national titles out of the last four contested. Um, so it does seem strange to say there is a good time to catch a program with a pedigree like that. Uh, but Providence playing at home at 2.30 on Saturday on the Big Fox um, could be one of the better chances they get here to knock off a team like Villanova. They need it. They need anything they can get. And 
you're going to have to probably go to New York and win the Big East tournament to get into the big tournament now. Oh, you just, certainly are. That's you it. You certainly are. You're, um, you're not. You're not anywhere near the bubble. At this so point. win or lose, you know that 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 has to happen. Um, but you're right. You want to go into the tournament feeling good, and so to be able to knock off a program like Villanova to end the season on your home floor mm-hmm. uh, would certainly be a nice feather in your cap yes. uh, going you know into New York City. But the thing with this Friars team is, okay, that would be great. But we've seen nights where they play really well and knock off quality teams. I thought the Xavier win last time we talked on this podcast, Bill, we were raving about them and how well they played in the Xavier win. They looked so good that night. That's the potential. That's the team that we thought was going to finish third in the Big East. And most people in the Big East thought that they were going to finish there too with all the talent they have. But then you just have the second half you had against St. John's and you shake your head and you say, what the heck was that? Where did these guys go? And that's been the disappointing part of this season. Um, so, sure, it's, it is great to you know, have the chance to play Villanova to end the season. Um, you just hope that they, the good Friars show up uh, more than the bad Friars show up. And um, I'm sure that Ed Cooley and his staff are doing everything they can to make sure that happens on Saturday. Um, it's funny that you talk about Villanova, just the success that they have. Think about all the guys that are in the NBA now, like you just mentioned. I know. You know, Sadiq Bey ate up the Celtics a few weeks ago. Yep. Jalen Brunson ate up the Celtics a few weeks ago with the Mavs. Yeah. Josh Hart. Uh, yeah. Pascal. Uh, Archie Diacono is still in the league with the Bulls. Like, it's unbelievable. DiVincenzo with the Bucks. They, they really have. It's striking to me that all of those guys have gone on to the NBA and have had the success that they've had. Mikhail Bridges. Yeah, I, unbelievable. Yeah. Like it's all of those guys. So, yeah, this is a it's, a it's a really good program. It really is not just for competing on the college level, but you know, sending guys off to have, you know, good pro careers. The clear gold standard in the Big East, uh, a national program at this point, uh, year over year one of the most efficient offenses. In the country, uh, starting in 2014-15, the lowest they've been in terms of offensive efficiency is 16th. Wow. Uh, right now, they are fifth. Um, they have finished fifth, first, third, third, and fourth in that stretch. Uh, you know, So it just goes to show the spacing, the connectivity at that end of the floor, the shooting, um, You know, just the, the way that Jay Wright has recruited and, and built his rosters. Uh, really impressive, and and they face a major challenge now uh, without Gillespie going into the business end of the season. Uh, it's good to see Providence getting a little healthier. Jared Bynum looked good the other night uh, at St. John's. He looks sprightly yeah. at times. Uh, I think he's going to be a really important piece if they're able to do something uh, at Madison Square Garden. Um, you know, I'm curious to see how the Friars come out in this game and, and how they respond from what was a, a disappointing night uh, against St. John's. Um, Coyte, I want to wrap this up with, with another Big East note, uh, some news from elsewhere in the conference. Uh, and this involves Creighton, and, and this has turned into a national story uh, in college basketball. It centers around uh, Creighton's coach, Greg McDermott, and some comments he made after a loss uh, at Xavier on February 27th. Uh, McDermott has been suspended. He will not coach on Saturday against Butler. Um, and this was a, a university decision. Uh, it was something that, that came down from the folks who run Creighton, um, something that McDermott has apologized for publicly 
um, something that he acknowledged he deserved in terms of his suspension. Um, you know, this was relayed, uh, I think it was by players, perhaps, maybe by assistant coaches. Um, but there was a, uh, you know, a report that, that McDermott had used some objectionable language uh, in his postgame address after the loss at Xavier. And I, I'm quoting here. Uh, this is reportedly what McDermott said. He said, guys, we've got to stick together. We need both feet in. I need everybody to stay on the plantation. I can't have anybody leave the plantation. There's obviously racist connotation to that. Um, McDermott is coaching predominantly black players. He is a white man. Um, the, the optics of that are, are just terrible. Um, you wonder where, from the recesses of his mind, he summoned such a reference. Um, it is curious to see uh, the reaction to this in different corners of college basketball. You, you wonder how folks are, are going to take seeing those comments on their face, his apology. Ed Cooley was asked about it the other night after the St. John's game. Uh, Ed and, and Greg McDermott, full disclosure, are, are pretty friendly. Um, you know, and Ed basically said, I'm praying for his kids and praying for his family. Um, I thought Ed actually showed a fair amount of restraint. I, I thought that, um, you know, maybe I anticipated him being uh, a little stronger in his language, maybe. Um, you know, but certainly Ed has his own thoughts, his right to his own opinion. He knows Greg McDermott a lot better than I do. Um, he's eminently more qualified to opine on what he felt McDermott's intent was, the sincerity of his apology, um, you know, because Ed knows him well. Uh, he's known him for a long time. He's coached against him, coached with him. Um, but it was surprising, Coyte, to, to see something like that considering the past year that we've had, considering the movement for social justice, uh, the heightened, the hopefully heightened awareness to this topic. Um, you know, I, I just, I was very surprised. Uh, maybe I shouldn't be at this point. Maybe I shouldn't be surprised by anything. Um, but I was very surprised to see those comments. I, I was very surprised to see uh, a coach, someone of Greg McDermott's standing, uh, making those comments to his players. So, look, Bill, I, I know that there are times in sports where, um, you know, things are said, uh, heat of the moment. Sometimes you're trying to, you know, rally guys and, and rah, rah, re and, and that sort of thing. Um, you know, when I initially heard this, though, I, I, I said, as you just sort of mentioned, like when you're thinking and speaking and improvising, you know, and off the cuff, what, where does this word come into your mind? Because I thought to myself, I said, I would never, I, I, at least I don't think I would ever have that word in the back of my head to say as I'm improvising and, and talking to, you know, a, a group of, of people or players or whoever it is, particularly, you know, young, you know, African-American men who I'm coaching. That, that's, that was the striking thing to me. And that, that word, um, I think what he was trying to say was reservation instead of plantation. But even then, Bill, it is a connotation uh, of, you know, and something that I think would be, um, you know, seen as derogatory toward Native Americans. Right. And so you have to be so 
hyper aware these days of of how you represent yourself, the things that you say, and words matter. And again, I know heat of the moment, but I I just don't. It, it's something that he should have been aware of as he's speaking, or to not catch yourself in that moment. To me, was sort of it, it was puzzling, you know. And and I know that. Greg McDermott has a great standing in this conference. You know, I, I believe him to be a, a good coach, a good teacher of young men, uh, a guy that certainly has had uh, diversity in his program. I, I think of, you know, I, I believe was was Preston Murphy part of his, his he staff? Was. Yeah, like yep. he's, he has had uh, a good standing in this conference, and he's so, uh, so close with Ed Cooley. You can tell every time they interact. So... Yeah, the whole situation, it's unfortunate. It's unfortunate we, we, we have a situation that we're talking about like this. Um, you know, you're hopeful that he does learn from it, and he, you're hopeful that he does realize that those are sort, those sorts of things that just, they can't come out like that anymore. Right. You, know, you have to be aware of what that means, particularly in a time like this. And so, yeah, it, it's that word. It, it's the only time I've ever heard it recently is you know i'm from plymouth mass you know the the tourist attraction slash what the original village was you know in plymouth was plymouth plantation they have since changed it because of the time that we're in and rightfully so and also we just had a vote in the state of rhode island to remove it from documents because providence was called that along with the state of rhode island and that's now been removed because of a vote because everybody is aware of those sorts of things and um, yeah, again, I just don't know where that comes from in the back of your mind, and it speaks to, okay, he needs to be more aware next time. If folks are listening to this and it, it sounds like Coit and I are uncomfortable, it's probably because we are. Yeah, um, absolutely. You know, because we're two white men sitting here, middle-class guys with jobs, you know, having a conversation about race when really that's never been an obstacle for either one of us, whether it be race, gender, um, sexual preference. That's not something that we've ever had to wake up and get out of bed and think about. We just be. We just are who we are. Sure. And that's enough. It's good enough. It's accepted in society. Um, when people talk about equity and equality, it needs to get to the point where everyone feels the way Coit and I do when we get out of bed in the morning. That's what we're pushing towards. That's what I hope that people want and aspire to. Um, I know that there are still a discouraging amount of folks out there who, who don't feel that way. Um, you know, and, and that's, uh, that's just another obstacle that, you know, all of us together have to push through. Um, you know, I found myself questioning, uh, you know, word choices that I've made in the past, things that I have said, um, you know, was I, uh, was I incorrect at times, you know, earlier in my life? And I'm, I'm racking my brain when I see something like this, hoping that I didn't use words in the wrong context. Um, you know, really praying that any of my work product, any of my personal interactions have not offended somebody else or, or made them feel a certain way. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess what I, I could say about this is, you know, for me personally, For most of my life, um, I haven't been all that comfortable with my appearance. I'm not, um, you know, I've never considered myself 
a particularly attractive person, a particularly fit person, um, you know, and I've been bullied for that at times in my life, whether it was in junior high, in high school. Um, you know, I've had difficulties in terms of my perception looking in the mirror. Um, and that's been hard at times. The difference is I can commit myself to a different lifestyle. I can work out. I can lose weight. I could have plastic surgery of some kind. I can change my physical appearance. Greg McDermott's players who happen to be black players cannot change that. Mm -hmm. They cannot change the way that they are perceived in society just because of their skin color. They can't change the fact that 150 years ago they were considered property. It's a shame and it's a stain on the American legacy, on American history. That's something that they can't change. Mm -hmm. All you can do is move forward with it, try to make it better, have these uncomfortable conversations like the one we're having right now, um, and hope that folks make individual changes in their lives to prevent things like this from happening. Um, and so I, a lot of times I think in media we, we get blowback from folks who say, well, you're talking about it, so you're making it worse because you're keeping it out there in the public sphere and you know, you're, you're just extending the pain for those folks and, and you're just making more of an issue out of it than it should be. Um, I think that's entirely the point. You know, the point is to make it uncomfortable, to bring up some understanding, uh, to encourage that dialogue, to push you into an un into that uncomfortable place because that's where you grow as a person and to put yourself in other people's shoes and and to realize what they go through because you're right bill i i know i've been lucky enough growing up to have uh, a wonderful family situation um to be able to you know not have to deal with some of the you know things that we don't even see or realize that you know some of the the people that are of you know minority whether it is african american whether it is another race or gender or sexual orientation those people go through things that you know somebody like myself who is a white middle class male has never even had thought of having to go through and that's that's the point is that you need to be aware of these things that's the point of these these times and and changing that for people of the next generation and i i think of the discussion that came up this week on on twitter about uh internships and unpaid internships right and there are a lot of people that stepped forward and i know i think i i had this thought in the past of well you know i paid my dues and i you know i was able to work my job and also you know do my internship without getting paid and um you know in some ways i think that is that is true. I think you have to pay your dues in some way, shape, or form. But I think the point of the discussion this time around that a lot of people were missing, Bill, is that this came up again because there are people that come from different backgrounds that aren't able to do the things that I was able to do in college. I know when I had an internship, I remember I worked a summer where I did play-by-play, -play, wasn't getting paid for it, uh, with the Katua Kettleers of the Cape Cod Baseball League. And I was working a job from 5 a.m. to 2 p.m. during the day as a greenskeeper at a golf course in Plymouth. And I did that all summer. I was able to do that because 
I was able to go home and, you know, live with my family that summer. I was able to have the car that my parents helped me to get and to, and sometimes pay for, um, you know, and help me with, you know, the job obviously helped with that. But I had some sort of help and or privilege behind me in order to make that happen and do that and get to where I wanted to go. There are people that aren't as fortunate that can't give up that time in their week to do the internships. There are some people that can, and there are some people that commit to it. But no matter how much you commit to it, sometimes there are people that come from a background that just aren't able to do that. They're not able to sacrifice that time because they have to provide for themselves in different ways that maybe I didn't realize or feel that I could. And so that's why that discussion came up this week. And that's why these conversations continue to come up because they're important. It's important to try to change it for the next generation so that people, whether you are a different race, a different background, again, a different sexual orientation, you're able to live a life where you don't have those stereotypes, those negative connotations, those things that people have had to deal with for a long, long time. And there were so many discussions this past summer, Bill, that I heard from from people that were, um, you know, African-American that grew up around here. Um, I think of, you know, my, my partner at Channel 6, Ian Steele, did a great piece with Will Blackman, who ended up going to the NFL, uh, went to Bishop Hendrickson, and then, you know, played 10-plus years in the league. I mean, just a tremendous story, tremendous background. I covered him when he was in high school. How old am I? Oh, my gosh. I mean, and I'm sure he was just, he was a thrill. And we knew what he was at Boston College, too. And yeah. But Will told the story of how, you know, he dealt with some of the stereotypes, you know, when he was younger. I believe it was that he had a a new bike that he got when he was young, and he was confronted by um, a couple of police officers, uh, and they they had thought that he had stolen it. Right. And he dealt with that, and it, he hadn't stolen anything. He got a new bike. Right. But it was because of the color of his skin that. That had happened, and this was a number of years ago. I think we have made some sort of progress, but in some ways we haven't, and we still have a ways to go. And so you hear a story like that, and I think to myself, Bill, I've never had to deal with that. No. And Ed Cooley talked about this summer when we were on a discussion with him on a Zoom. He talked about how he was pulled over once you know, in his car, and he feared that something was going to happen, that he was pulled over because of the color of his skin. You know, not because maybe he was going a couple miles over the speed limit. That wasn't the thought that was going through his head. Right. And you want that to change for the next generation. You do. And you have to be aware of that. And the only way it's going to change is that if people that people that don't deal with that sort of thing or have never even thought to deal with that on a regular basis in their daily lives are aware of it and so that they can help push our society and our country forward. Yeah, we, we wish... Um you know, we wish that we didn't have to have the conversation at all. Sure. We, we wish that it was just the way it was, uh, but clearly it is not. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, when something like that comes up, it, it is important, uh, I think, for, for guys like us to address it. Absolutely. Um, you know, to acknowledge it, uh, to try and learn from it, to try and grow from it. Um, you know, it certainly adds value to your character. Um, you know, it adds to... Uh, your ability maybe to help folks either process things or understand them or, um, you know, to be allies to them. Absolutely. Um, you know, and that's that's something that uh, we're always going to have space for here. 
alongside our normal college basketball shenanigans um, <laughs> because really if in the grand scheme of things what we talk about here is uh, it's the toy box as, as Ken Bell Amen. has said for years and years and years um, it's what we've been reminded of as as sports people for years and years and years that uh, news is the real work and that uh, what we get to do is fun um, folks we want to thank you for joining us uh, we appreciate your time, and uh, we hope everybody out there is, is healthy and feeling well. Uh, we look forward to another great weekend of college hoops, another full week of conference tournaments. Next week, uh, we will dive into a Big East tournament preview at some point. Uh, we will look at the fortunes of the Friars, and, and hopefully we'll be talking about uh, the Bulldogs playing on Tuesday night. Um, as always, Coity, thank you very much for joining A pleasure, me. my friend. Thank you.